I'll be reading from Psalms 102, verses 4 through 20, and this is out of the New Living Translation. My heart is sick, withered like grass, and I've lost my appetite. Because of my groaning, I am reduced to skin and bones. I'm like an owl in the desert, like a little owl in a far-off wilderness. I lie awake lonely as a solitary bird on the roof. My enemies taunt me day and night. They mock and curse me. I eat ashes for food. My tears run down into my drink because of your anger and wrath. For you have picked me up and thrown me out. My life passes as swiftly as the evening shadows. I am withering away like grass. But you, Lord, will sit on your throne forever. Your fame will endure to every generation. You will arise and have mercy on Jerusalem. And now is the time to pity her. Now is the time you promised to help. For your people love every stone in her walls and cherish even the dust in her streets. Then the nations will tremble before the Lord. The kings of the earth will tremble before his glory. For the Lord will rebuild Jerusalem. He will appear in his glory. He will listen to the prayers of the destitute. He will not reject their pleas. Let this be recorded for future generations so that a people not yet born will praise the Lord. Tell them the Lord looked down from his heavenly sanctuary. He looked down to the earth from heaven to hear the groans of the prisoners, to release those condemned to die. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, sweetheart. Good morning, Park Hill. It is wonderful to be with you all today. Um, yeah, the, the last Sunday outside, I, I must admit there are gonna be some things I miss about being outside. Uh, the Point Loma pause is not one of them, but uh, thankfully we're in beautiful San Diego. So good morning, everybody. It's so good to be with you all today and um, <laughs> If you've been here with us for a month or so, you know we've been praying through the book of Psalms and teaching on it from week to week. And um, so right away when I heard that we were going to do this, I knew it was going to be special because for me, the book of the Psalms are um, proof that God wants real, authentic relationship with his people. He's not some distant God who is too lofty um, and too busy to be concerned about us. He is concerned about what troubles us, what worries us, what delights us, what brings us pleasure. He is committed to us, who we really are. Not who we wanna be, not who I'm gonna be one day when I finally get my life together. <laughs> He's committed to who we are right now, as we are. And I love that about God. Um, the Psalms keeps record of all of our emotions and seasons of life as human beings. It shows people at their best, loving God in worship, being led by him, praising him, trusting him, all of those great things and loving his laws just like we, we went through last week. And it also shows people at their worst, angry, vengeful, anxious, afraid, even being so tired and worn that you're ready to give up and die. That reality is in the Psalms. And um, as you've been reading, 
you may have gotten whiplash from praise and lament because they're all in there. They're both in there. Um, sometimes there's lament right after praise or vice versa. And that's intentional. The Psalms teach us that praise and lament should coexist. So today I want to walk through comfort in the midst of lament. If you're new or maybe you checked out a few Sundays, uh, you might be wondering, what is lament? And um, in one of our recent community study guides, community group study guides, I love the definition that was given. Lament is venting anger and rage and disillusionment and confusion and questions and frustrated longing to God in a posture not of whining, but of worship. And I know right away, some of you are wondering, because we've had these conversations in our group as well, is this even allowed? Can you follow Jesus and trust God while still having complaints and frustrations that you express to him? The answer is 100% yes. You cannot have authentic relationship with anybody, let alone the God of the universe, while pretending things are okay and they're not. When you are clearly disappointed and frustrated, but you have to hide it. That's not what God wants for us. The wonderful thing about our Father is he knows us intimately. He already knows what we feel. And still, he invites us to be honest with him and share our hearts with him, even when they're broken. As I mentioned, we are praying through the Psalms and this Sunday's sermon, um, as my husband already read, he read Psalms 102. This Sunday's sermon happens to be um, nestled right between Psalms 102 and 103. And these two Psalms will be our scripture text for today. There's gonna be a little bit of reading, so I hope you bear with us. Um, while it is believed that David both wrote, um, wrote both Psalms, they seem to have different perspectives. So, and they're right back to back. Like what, what's going on here? Um, it's clear that David wrote Psalms 103 because it starts off a Psalm of David. However, um, Psalms 102, it's not so clear because it begins as a prayer of one overwhelmed with trouble pouring out problems before the Lord. Or as the King James Version says, a prayer of the afflicted. The writer himself, or he refers to himself as an afflicted man in need of mercy. And I don't know if that alone resonates with you um, or with anybody here, but if you've ever felt troubled or in distress, you're not by yourself, you're not alone. So let's read, um, let's go back through 102 to hear this afflicted man's prayer. My heart is sick, withered like grass, and I have lost my appetite. Because of my groaning, I am reduced to skin and bones. And I'm just going to jump through because we've already read all of it. My enemies taunt me day after day. They mock and curse me. I eat ashes for food. My tears run down into my drink because of your anger and wrath, for you have picked me up and thrown me out. And I wanna stop here for a moment and acknowledge that life can be so bad 
that you feel like even God is against you. That even God has turned away from you. But that's not the end of the psalm. So let's read on. Verse 11 says, My life passes as swiftly as the evening shadows. I am withering away like grass. And right after this complaining, he says in verse 12, but you, O Lord, will sit on your throne forever. Your fame will endure to every generation. You will arise and have mercy on Jerusalem for the Lord will rebuild Jerusalem. He will appear in his glory. He will listen to the prayers of the destitute. He will not reject their pleas. Let this be recorded for future generations so that people not yet born will praise the Lord. Tell them the Lord looked down from his heavenly sanctuary. He looked down to earth from heaven to hear the groans of the prisoners to release those condemned to die. He laments in anguish about his people, his nation, and even his own personal woes and having enemies. And in the next breath, though, he says, but you, O Lord, are on your throne forever. He elevates God to the highest authority. In despair, but still with faith, he says God listens to the prayers of his people and he will respond. He will respond. This is why lament is appropriate because God hears his people and he responds. Now, what about us? This was written thousands of years ago. So what about us today in 2021 in this, this Western world. You may not be at war with another nation. You may not have a physical enemy hunting you down to kill you like David did, or you may, I, I don't know. Let me remind you that either way, you do have an adversary. First Peter five verses eight and nine say, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. The family of God all over the world is under attack, according to the scripture. And we know uh, sometimes that appears as outright persecution of the saints, just like in Asia and Africa, India, and in the Middle East. It may show up, this attack may show up as divisive rhetoric to turn believers against one another. You may be swallowed up by the cares of this world or struggling to believe the truth that God has spoken about you and walk in it. This attack comes so many different ways. It is not just you're battling your own flesh and your own thoughts, but you have an enemy who is after your faith. You have an enemy who is after your peace, after your joy, and he does not want you to win at anything. So when your heart is overwhelmed, for the believer, the natural course should be to do like David did in Psalm 61 and run to God for refuge and safety. We cry out for the family of God who is under attack. We grieve over lost people and we should be in distress about the state of our nation and cry out to God for our loved ones, our neighbors, and for ourselves. 
David repeats the sentiment from Psalms 102 in many different places in the Psalms. Even in Psalms 6, verses 6 and 7, he says, I'm worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. My eyes are worn out because of all my enemies. Does anybody know what this feels like? I, I don't know if, <laughs> if this makes sense to you or, or if it even sounds right to you, but this was his reality and this is the reality if not for you, maybe the person sitting next to you at some point in our lives. And also, Psalm 61, verses 1 through 4. I told you there are a lot, there's a lot of reading. We're going through the Psalms today. In Psalm 61, verses 1 through 4, he says, Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help. When my heart is overwhelmed... Lead me to the towering rock of safety, for you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. He doesn't cry out for help. Um, he doesn't just cry out for help, but he knows where to go when he is overwhelmed. Embedded in the lament of the psalm, is an awareness that God is still good, that he is able to, deli to deliver and that he cares about his people. He will answer. God is our hiding place. We are hidden in him. Now let's read the juxtaposition of Psalm 103. So if you flip the page over, David says in verse six, the Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. Man, God's not like us at all, is he? <laughs> He does not punish us for all our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. These psalms reveal the truth of where you might be on any given day and the truth of who God is all the time. God is consistent through the ages. He is always a refuge. He is always a safe place. He is always the healer, always the deliverer, always the redeemer and our savior. He always is. And because he is compassionate, I run to him. Because of his unfailing love, I cry out to him. Because he is merciful and just, I weep aloud over injustice and ask God for mercy for my people. Thank you, Jesus. Coming up this Saturday is one of the oldest known celebrations commemorating the freedom of slaves in America. We call it Juneteenth. Hope y'all celebrate. Slaves were technically freed by Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation.
proclamation January 1st, 1863. But it wasn't until two and a half years later, sometime in June 1865, Juneteenth-ish, that slaves in Galveston, Texas were even told of their freedom. There are stories of messengers being killed on their way with the news of freedom, enslavers deliberately withholding this information to maintain slavery in the South, um, and federal troops purposely delaying the emancipation just to give slave owners time to reap more harvest. Not sure which of those, or all, if all of those are true, but whatever the case, slaves were legally free, but still oppressed, still enslaved. On paper, signed by the highest authority in the land, able to walk away from their slave masters, but still captive. And of course, if you know anything about American history and American present day, oppression and racism didn't end with slavery. Jim Crow laws persisted another 100 years legalizing racial segregation, denying black people voting rights, access to jobs, education, proper housing, not to mention the violence, the torment, and death that ravaged black people. America was made a superpower because of free labor from African slaves. It was built on the backs of black bodies. And when they so-called set them free, they had nothing to show for it. No wealth, no land, no education, broken families, nothing. Except, of course, their strong spirituality, our faith, our hope, our resilience. So black churches are where we learn to read, gained skills, felt a sense of community, and corporately cried out to God. We were and are a people who know that we are desperate for God. We are desperate for his intervention. God, if you don't help, we have no help outside of you. That is what we know. That is what I grew up understanding. Before I knew anything about prayer practices like listening prayer, silence and solitude, imaginative prayer, all of those wonderful things that I've grown to love, my prayer culture was shaped by the words of Jesus. That instruction to persistently ask knock, seek, shaped by the examples of the early church of gathering together and waiting, and also shaped by the Psalms. That's what I knew about prayer. I grew up in a culture of lament, very much like David's outcry to avenge him of his enemies. How long, O oh Lord, before you deliver us? How long must we suffer? Lord, I'm your child and there are times I feel abandoned by you. I'm tired of this abuse, tired of seeing the wicked prosper while I have so little, tired of feeling alone. Lord, I'm looking for you, but I can't find you right now in this dark place. God, I need your help. Where are you? Has anybody ever felt 
those words, those sentiments. I learned as a young believer that God is the safest place to take my grief. I can trust him with my pain. He's not going to walk out on me because in my limited understanding, I'm angry with him. In fact, he keeps track of all my sorrows and he collects my tears. He records them in a book. And this is according to Psalms 56.8. He cares for me. And even better, he is the true source of my rescue. He is the healer. He is the comforter. He is able to give me beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, and the garment of praise for my heavy spirit. So why wouldn't I bring my sadness to him, my complaints to him, all of me to him? There is comfort and lament when you cry out to the God of miracles, the Lord of heaven's armies, the one who loves you enough to give up his own son. Romans 8.32 says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? That's the God I cry out to when my soul is aching. The God who wants to give me everything. But maybe you haven't been there. Maybe life has been good. Maybe you have no cares, no worries. And lamenting is just not your thing. You have no problem trusting and believing God. And you see the silver lining in every stormy cloud. Maybe you just prefer the Psalms of praise. I will enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Maybe, maybe that's more your lane. But I have a suspicion with the amount of loss we have suffered this year, the confusion we have felt, the increased anxiety we've experienced, the pain of watching people die by the tens of thousands, over a strange virus that there's so many conspiracy theories about, we don't even know what this is. Seeing people die by suicide still and die through senseless acts of violence simply because someone has the power to take the life of someone else who matters little or not at all to them. I have a suspicion that after the year we've had and the amount of people flooding mental health services, that lamenting to the sovereign Lord who will one day wipe away all tears is something many, if not all of us, need to tap into. Strap on your seatbelt a little bit. I wrestled. Um, with whether or not to share what I'm going to tell. Obviously, I made a decision. <laughs> um, but I didn't want to be offensive to anybody. I don't know. Maybe I've already offended somebody. Um, but I'm sorry if you're offended by the pain in this message. It's not fiction. It's real life. Real people with real hurt crying out to a real God. So I believe it's more beneficial than offensive, and I just pray that you continue to hear me with grace. A few years ago, I attended a chapel service at Fuller Seminary, and it was led by a friend of mine. She shared with the audience 
her Korean heritage and um, of meeting early in the morning for prayer, wailing and speaking loudly, almost angrily at God. As a little girl, she didn't understand why her mother and other Korean women would gather at church so early in the morning and be so mad at God, she said. <laughs> why were they yelling? And she went on to talk about how, as she grew older, she began to understand and actually embrace their culture of lament. They had a practice of unburdening themselves on God, giving him all their worries and trusting him to take care of them. And all of that stuff that was so heavy that weighed them down, they knew that God could handle it. And as I heard my friend talk about lament, I was actually fondly reminded of my own upbringing and prayer culture of lament. Those early morning prayers meeting, those early morning prayer meetings and all night prayer sessions. Um, and so after chapel, I was speaking to my friend along with another older woman. And um, we talked about this beautiful culture of unashamedly taking your griefs to God giving to him what no one else could handle. And I talked about what I grew up in and how I missed the invitation from my church to lament. So the older woman asked, well, what kind of church do you attend? And I responded, a predominantly white church in San Diego. And she said to me, white churches historically have had no reason to lament. And I know that's hard to hear. It was hard for me to hear. And not to take away from individual grief and lament. I know that people are hurting. I think what her point was, the white church as an institution generally has not had a strong culture of lamenting. And so... I can only imagine, yeah, I can only imagine how this is landing with some of you because it's, it's difficult to hear, but I'm praying that the spirit is at work and helping to make sense of all of this. But I walked away from that conversation sadly wondering, is that true? And if they're not grieving for themselves, can my white church family grieve with me? Can my brothers and sisters who don't look like me, who don't intimately understand my experiences, do as the scripture says and weep with those who weep? I missed the corporate body of believers gathering together in prayer and crying out loud to God for help. I was missing that. In fact, last year, with so many things happening at the height of uh, deaths and, and riots and just chaos, I went to a pillar of a church in my community because I know every morning they have 5 a.m. prayer. And I knew that I could go and I could wail and sob and it'd be accepted and it'd be okay. So I went there, even though I have my own prayer closet and I... I pray and I worship and I meet with God, but I wanted to be in a community who felt me, who heard me, who knew what I was feeling without me saying a word.
But I know better than to believe that lament is only a fixture in the black church. I know that it's not just found in the Korean church at early morning prayer. Lamenting is intended for all of God's people. Regardless of our ethnicity and earthly heritage, God calls us to be comforted through lament. I want to take you to one of my favorite scriptures found in the book of Revelation chapter 3. Man, I knew I was going to need a tissue today. Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. Jesus says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you neither are hot or cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are lukewarm, or but since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have everything I want, I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Then verse 19 says, still Jesus talking, I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. San Diego has several things in common with um, the church at Laodicea. Naturally, we do. But I want to focus on what Jesus speaks to the church about their spiritual state. It's easy to identify with the Western modern church when we read this. All of us as Americans, regardless of our color and background. To me, this is one of my favorite scriptures because it hits home for me. We're apathetic. That's why we don't lament. We have money in the bank. We own houses and property. We're surrounded by the love of our dearest friends and family. We may feel safe and secure, yet we don't understand that we are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked in need of the Savior. We're passionate about things that don't matter while people lay waste. People die not knowing God's love. They know his judgment because we have declared that over them. But they don't know his love. Lukewarmness is a picture of indifference and compromise. Lukewarm water is useless. Hot water heals and cold water refreshes. They both have purpose. God is saying, if you were hot or cold, I could do something with you. But I can't do anything with your apathy, with your contentment over your wealth, your intellect and resources. You have no reason to seek him. You're not desperate. But you should be. We should be. If we knew we were blind, if we knew we were naked, if we knew trying to walk the middle ground between the world and the kingdom was of no value to God and no value to the people that we're trying to help, we might get desperate. 
The realization of our need for God is a gift. Jesus says in Revelation 3.19, I correct and discipline everyone I love. This is love speaking. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Other versions say repent. God wants us to be zealous for him, passionate about his laws and his plans for us. He wants our hearts to ache for people who don't know him. He wants us to be honest and real and unashamed to declare our dependence on him. I'm not here to burst any bubbles today, but the fact is you don't have it all together. You do need a savior, the savior. If you're an unbeliever and you're wondering, what is this Christian walk all about? It's about admitting your need for God, believing that he loves you enough to provide a new life for you, something you cannot do on your own, and surrendering that old life to your new one. For the Jesus follower, it's about admitting your need for God, believing that he loves you enough to provide a new life for you, something you cannot do on your own, and surrendering your old life to the new one he provides. I don't want to just talk about lament. I want to invite everybody here to get something on your mind. Everybody, please stand. We're wrapping up here. This is the beauty and the necessity of diversity in God's kingdom for us to leverage one another's experiences, for us to take those things that God has given each of us and bring them together to be a collective unit. And I, I believe, hope and pray that's what God is doing. I believe that's what he's up to. As it is in heaven, let it be on the earth. So I want to invite you to, um, everybody just close your eyes for a moment. Get something on your mind that is too heavy for you to carry. You're tired and worn out about things that are out of your control. Or maybe things that you feel like you should be able to handle, but for some reason you're still struggling. I want you to take that heavy thing and according to 1 Peter 5 and 7, cast it on God because he cares for you. It may be a relationship. It may be grief, anxiety over finances, still figuring out the chaos of what's actually going on today, feeling unworthy or feeling unloved. Whatever that heavy thing is, I want you to physically, just let's practice this, physically move your body, thrust your arms forward and cast those cares, those heavy loads. Give them to God. Why? Because he cares for you. He cares for us. We're his dear children, his beloved. You are his beloved sons and daughters. 
And he invites you to his throne of grace to obtain mercy. And maybe you showed up light today. Maybe it was difficult trying to figure out what was so heavy. Maybe you came here without any worries or burdens. And if that's the case, praise God, we should all have those seasons, right? But if that's you and you can't really think of something for yourself, I want you to think about somebody else who might be weighed down. Someone else who could use help with their heavy load. A neighbor, a friend, a coworker, our brother who just lost his father this weekend. If you can't think of anything else, pray for Royal Family Kids Camp that will serve foster kids next month. Go to God on their behalf because you know he cares for them. He cares for them. That's what makes this all worth it. It's not just complaining to a friend. It's not just venting to a coworker. But we're, we're actually going to the God who can do something about our issues. We're actually going to the God who is the God of all miracles, who is the healer, who can do anything. There's nothing too hard for him. That's the God we're going to when we lament. He cares for us. Father, we thank you that you care. That you've been faithful through the ages. You've been faithful as a friend. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you, Father. For that beautiful exchange of beauty for ashes. You welcome me to bring you my heavy spirit so that you can robe me with a garment of praise. Thank you. Thank you, God, for that invitation to come to you, to know that I can trust you with my heaviness, to know that I can trust you even with my paranoia when others don't think it makes sense. But you know me. You know me. You made me and you know me and you love me you take me as I am you take me as I am wretched blind miserable poor naked you take me as I am and you offer me things that I cannot buy with money you give me peace, joy, comfort, and love. Let's just give God praise for the opportunity, the invitation to lament.